0: Kingston upon Hull, everybody. What a wonderful city. Home to the the cream-coloured phone box. Boiled sweets were invented in Hull. Great. We also have Hull to thank for LCD screens and Lemsip. Uh, The George Hotel in Hull is uh, claiming to have the smallest window in England. Ten by one, if you're wondering. Uh, It's the birthplace of Amy Johnson, the first female pilot to fly alone from Great Britain to Australia. Pinewood Studios. Yes, film people. Pinewood Studios was founded by the Hull-born J. Arthur Rank. Hull was also named the highest proportion, uh, to have the highest proportion of snorers in 2002. Most snorers come from Hull. The 2017 Capital of Culture uh, was also where John Wilkin was born on a pig farm. And we have two... Halensians for you this week because Scott Taylor joins us as well. Scott Taylor, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Hi guys, thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, and look, good, is I mean, Halensians right? is What's right, that? Flash. That's the right. Halensians yeah. is exactly the right way to say that it. Sounds exotic. Hull... It's not exotic at all, is it, Scott?
0: <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> And look, Scott, the only reason we've got you on this week, to be honest, is because we've we've been trolled so much on social media saying you only ever get people in Lancashire, in the Lancashire bubble on this out of your league podcast. So we've travelled 100 miles down the road, down the M62 this week, just to get Scott on. Um, look, unlike John Wilkin, who packed his bags for the pretentious Cheshire countryside, uh, you stuck by your city, Scott, loud and proud. No Hull girls were good enough for our Wilkin Janet next door on the pig farm wouldn't suffice. Uh, he needed well, an Olympian, carved from the finest stone, and two little cock-a-weasel dogs who he, um, who couldn't be less hull if they tried. Uh, but but look, I mean, in terms of Wilkin's name in in the city, is it Mud Scott? Because you know better than most.
2: Do you know what? I think a lot of people don't realise John's from all, To be honest, <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, he's lost
2: the accent, hasn't he? Can, to, <laughs> I was speaking to, um, uh, it might have been Josh Reynolds on the coach because he was on about some of the guys were being on Sky and he mentioned John Wilkin. I said you don't know, as an old lad, he actually was OK, I was a youth and he was just, he was in complete shocks. I think he'd watched a bit of obviously plenty of games, a big rugby league fan, so he thought it was a St Helens boy through and through.
1: Well, I'll tell you <laughs> this: I, I was I was playing at um, at the KC Stadium and I, I actually. I think I made my debut on the wing for Saints at at the KC Stadium. And um, I'll never forget, obviously, I've been a Hull lad, grown up in Hull my whole life. And um, I got banjoed by somebody, can't remember who, and uh, just had this guy go, ah, that's that's right, you scouse bastard. And I was like, fucking hell, I left Hull like 18 (laughs) months ago. Do you know what I mean? I've only just left. my, My accent, which I've been trying to like... Cover up for the last, you know, twenty years was still fully strong then. <laughs> so at that moment, Scott, I think people, you know, were, were a bit confused. I think because I left. I think that's the first thing. I, I actually left. Yeah, all, which is quite. That's quite a unique uh, thing in itself. I think. Not a lot of rugby no, left. Means-
2: no, I was a lot of people were surprised when I jumped ship and obviously come across to Wigan. But um, I lasted a few years and then moved back.
0: <laughs> good lad. <laughs> now, look, not a lot of people know that John Wilkins' father, the man who uh, dragged John up on this pig farm, scouted you as a young boy, Scott.
2: Yeah, big bad Pip. He was. Um, I remember he used to. At the time, I didn't really know um, who he was, but um, come to about the under sixteens, uh, with, my, with my amateur team, and Pip had gone watch sort of amateur rugby games at the time, and. I always remember him grabbing me after one of the games and seeing if I would signed up to anywhere. Um just said that I'd been watching a few of the games and impressed, and I just said no. And he was like, right, um I work a bit with old KR, so I'll be in touch, and then that was it, yeah. So it was um John's dad Pip who, who reached out and gave me a shot, really.
3: It's quite an intimidating man as well, Pip, isn't it? Big, big hands, man's face. And it, I think when he said you come into Rovers. You probably
1: didn't have much of a choice, did you?
2: <laughs> I didn't tell him I was an FC fan though.
1: No. <laughs> the thing with my dad, right? The thing with my dad is like I, am, I don't know how regulated that industry is right now. I can't remember my dad ever telling <laughs> me that he was a scout. Do you know what I mean? He's just going watching like junior rugby league matches around Hull, tapping lads on the shoulder like Scott and telling them, Wow, well, Hey Scott, why don't you sign for Rovers? And he's like, well, I'm not sure my I'm not I'm not sure my dad ever was a scout. And if my dad's watching this, which he isn't, because he's a technological Neanderthal, he's probably like chopping logs in a shed somewhere on his own. Um, like, yeah, Dad, I, I'm not sure you ever had the authority to go out and sign players, but. It might be one of the only things he got right. (laughs) He he spotted the talent in in, in Scott Taylor. So I think for all of his failures, I think my dad might still be dining out in the crooked billet in Rye Hill on Scott Taylor's career from from that point onwards.
0: Oh, by the way, um, chopping logs... Chopping logs in the shed is euphemism for smashing Carol, by the way, just in case you didn't know what that was. Um, <laughs> look, <laughs> <laughs> look, Scott, on, for, those who, for those who don't know, Scott, um, how big is that, that rivalry between Hull K.R. and, and Hull FC? Because look, you were a, a boyhood, a lifelong and still are Hull FC fan. And then you ended up joining Hull K.R. All your mates at school were Hull FC fans. You must have got so much shit when you signed for Hull K.R.
2: Yeah, I took I took some stick. Uh but look, it was just it's just the way the opportunity presented itself and to be honest, there were some players in a lot better position in the same position me who were a lot better than me at the time who had signed for all um knew I probably wouldn't even get a chance there um at the time. So just happy to have signed with anyone at the time. But yeah, it was it was a tough one for me personally. I remember getting a lot of crap for it, um, all my family are all F C fans, so it was always the usual case of oh we'll we'll come and watch you uh, we hope you play well but we don't want you to win and it was always that sort of case growing up um, but no it, it 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 sort of penned me into who I
3: am now and the career I've had so I won't take it back. And you and you and Liam Watts came through at the same time as, as front row partners at FC. Oh sorry, at KR.
2: Yeah, well, Watsi was at Cass, and I think KR had signed him straight to first team. And Watsi's here above me. So I was, I started training first team when I was 17. And yeah, Watsy had just been signed from Cass straight to first team. Uh, but at the time, I was a back rower. I actually debuted two play at back row. Um, and then basically, going into that was in 2009. And then basically, we had Clint Newton and Ben Glear in the back row. So Justin Morgan just said, look, you're not going to get in the back row. Why don't you play in the front row? I think you could do a job. So it was enough, bit of a license for just to go in the off season, season, and eat loads of food get as fat as I could, put some weight <laughs> on, and never look, never look back.
3: There's no, there's no going back as, as, when shot. you move in either. Once you're in, you, you know, there's no going yeah. back to back row, is there?
1: No, what? Yeah, Flash. Once you move into that middle, that's it. That's game over. That's that's a one-stop shop, is it? Once you end up in the middle, but Scott, that that's um, it's a big call that. You know, as a young kid, I think a lot of guys get presented with opportunities, right? And you, your temptation is to, to take the best um, team. You know, you you didn't do that. You, you you had the foresight to maybe think that your opportunity to play rugby a whole car was greater. Did that feel like a big decision at the time? And how much thought did you put into it? Yeah, look, there was, there was a lot of thought because Ulfc
2: did come in like... A bit later on, before anything was done, and it was a massive, like, head-and-heart decision, in all seriousness, so I did wait a few nights to speak to my old man about it a lot. But, look, I was I was 60, I just wanted to play rugby, I just wanted to be out there, and I knew going to All-FC at that time, I'd just be another number, and I knew there was players. I was never playing for my country at a young age, growing up, I was never on any scholarships, and lads in the city was, who they'd already signed, and I knew I'd been down in the picking order, I just wanted to play rugby, so... Uh, Yeah, went with my went my head. Uh, Turned out the best choice.
1: Where are they now, Scott? Name names. Who who was in front of you back then? (laughs) Uh, There was
2: there was uh, none of them made it uh, big time. Really, there was there was second rows at (laughs) big fan like you. (laughs) (laughs) Scott, (laughs) there was uh, there was a couple of second rows. uh, I'll say Liam and Ryan at Westall. The arch rivals who. Didn't end up um, going on too much. I think they might have. I think Liam might have played a couple of first team games, but um, after a few years, yeah, there was both both back amateur rugby. So it's mental how it works out, isn't it?
0: Look, Wilco, I, I know we we've been banging on about you fleeing the city uh, when you were a young boy, but look, you know how much people in that city of whole bleed rugby league. If you to cut them in half, um, and and I remember you saying to me years ago one of your biggest regrets in your career was not playing in a whole derby.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I'm like Liam, I, I grew up, uh, you know, my love for rugby was, was from the city of Hull and, and um, you know, I was a Hull KR fan. I, you know, I was a ball boy at Hull KR from, from age like 10 to, to, to 15, 16. You know, I made my debut for Hull KR the, the year after I'd been a ball boy for the club. You know what I mean? It, that That's... Um, it was just a huge passion of mine and and, and rugby in, in Hull is 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 huge and and, it, and it's it's just part of the the culture down there and, and, and in some ways similar to 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 Scott what what I did but looking back, I, I had the opportunity to sign for the reason I asked the question of Scott earlier is because I was offered the opportunity to sign for Wigan or Leeds um or Hull or Hull KR and I chose Hull KR back then, who were a championship team, and and uh, I thought a lot about that decision at the time. It was easier because it was my childhood club, you know. Like I, 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 you know, probably subconsciously wanted to make my dad proud and play for the team that he'd always supported and and whatnot. But still, it was a big decision for me back then to say, right, I'm not gonna take the best opportunity, performance wise, or I suppose ego wise, to sign for the for the biggest and best club. And, and I made is this is a, really a dig sensible- at Mark,
0: by the way, who, who signed for, for Wigan in 2009?
1: <laughs> no, no, not at all. But indirectly, yes, it is. <laughs> it's not. It's not at all. No. Look, there's loads of journeys to get to where you want to get to. It's just it, it interested me Scott's decision because I, I saw a real rational thought. Usually, they're really emotional decisions, right? And you you just make an emotional decision on what will you know, self, self-serve self your ego at that time. And and for me, when I was making that call, look, I wanted to do my A-levels. I wanted to go on to university. Hull KR, you know, was a club where I could do that, but I could play. I could actually go and play rugby. And uh, all the time I was, and, and same with Scott, from a young age, we were playing. There's lads who were stuck in an academy system who aren't playing against men. And look, I'm a big believer that the quicker you get out there and play against men as a young athlete, the more competent you'll be. Uh, but but just to go back to your your, your question, Will, rugby in Hull is huge. Um, it, it, it's a really strong rivalry, but I think that rivalry is, it's actually quite well mannered and, and nice. You know what I mean? It's it's not as aggressive. I don't think as as it as it maybe used to be or, or perceived to be. Uh, But it's certainly like, for young kids in the city of Hull, rugby is a way to just be exceptional at something and be renowned for being good at something. And and that's without doubt, you know, something to celebrate for that city.
0: Mark, you're allowed your uh, retaliation now? No, I'm, I'm, um, yeah, when I look, I've never really thought about it, to be
3: honest, and I've never changed my career and decisions I made, but... When I look back, I made my debut for Wigan at 21, and I had a few injuries, I had some bad injuries before that, but I was stuck behind probably four or five internationals, and we had Sean O'Loughlin, Gareth Hawke, Phil Bailey, uh, Harrison Hanson, Joel Tompkins, and there was myself, Liam Farrell, and Lee Mossop, who both played internationals above me, all vying for a back row spot, and um, when I think, I probably could have played Super League a couple of years younger than, than when I actually did, but... I was stuck in this system behind some really good players and obviously it's made me the player I am today but um, yeah, I've never thought of it like that but when when John mentions actually getting out playing men's rugby at a younger age and probably developing at a younger age, I, I never did that and I went through a different route but yeah, you, you never know where it might have taken you though.
0: Look Scott I get accused a lot of being the the southern fairy in, in rugby league uh, I tell you what I've never been to a whole derby and I'd absolutely love to go to one Look John's celebrity uh, broadcasting friend Adrian Durham was at university in Hull and that's why he fell in love. I mean he, you know he's a London boy and that's why he was well, from Peterborough but yeah you know, that's why he fell in love with rugby from going from a Hull to going to a Hull derby when he was at uni but Did did you play you must have played in one when you were at KR against FC
2: Yeah yeah I did play in a few um, all in the field for KR against Dull. And uh, yeah, so I obviously played both sides of the board at both stadiums. That
0: must have been weird, though, that in a KR shirt, you must have felt like you were going to catch on fire. Yeah,
2: <laughs> it was a really weird one. And obviously, you sort of imagine it of you walking out in a black and white shirt when you're growing up, don't you? And not, in, not in the red and white shirt, or, or your family have the banter with and get into. So it was, it was weird. Uh, but... Look, we got a job to do, um, and I knew one day I wanted to hit my dream of playing for all and playing an old derby for all. So it gave me a good taste of it, um, and I enjoyed it, and it was everything I thought it would be. And then, it, then I was very, very excited when I signed for Ceno and I could play against them in an old shirt now.
0: Come cool. on, let's just upset a few people because you played in the Wigan Saints derby as well. I mean, is it the biggest one? Does it compare to anything?
2: For me it's the biggest one. But what I'd say is I played in the Wigan Saints ones and what I would say is obviously normally the quality of game in the Wigan Saints one is normally obviously above it because you've got Wigan Saints who for the last so many years have always been around the top four. And I remember playing for Wigan Against Saints some and and it was some of the fastest games I've ever played in in my career. So I feel like the speed of the game and the competitiveness of the game, um, And the quality, obviously the Wigan Saints was right up there, but what I'd say with the old derby, for actual rival hatred and banter in the city leading up to it, there's nothing what uh, gets to it in the whole K.R. derby, in my opinion.
3: I find in those games, whichever team takes the emotion out of it usually fares better because you can get too caught up in the rivalry and the animosity between the fans and the clubs and and do things out of character or, or maybe push yourself in certain areas and start too fast and fade away late on. And I always find in the Wigan Saints divers I played in and when I used to go watching Leeds and Bradford and, and, and watch the whole divers, I always find that the more composed team always do better and sometimes the more emotional teams can be a little bit more reckless and, and that end up fading away late in the game.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think with, with, with the, the notice as well with me is when I was at K.R., I think no matter what sort of year we was having, if we won the old derby, the fans were happy and it was sort of, you was off the hook, for whatever had happened that year. Whereas at Hull, we're obviously trying to be successful, trying to win things. And it's just, a, with the last few years, it's been a, just thinking about it as another game into where we need to go that year. Um, and our fans are happy just winning the old derby. So I think that's a bit of a difference as well.
1: Derbies are a really interesting thing, aren't they? You know, they're of such a, a, a British, you know, I think just a really British concept. And, and, and you know, if we're in the sport of entertainment, and we are, we're, we're all, you know, entertainers, we entertain people. Like the, the intensity that a derby brings, um, you know, like I, like you said, Will, like I dreamt as a kid of playing full KR against LFC. I never got the opportunity to do that but in the Wigan Saints derby you know I came to understand the value of these rivalries that we've got you know like and how much value they add to the sport and um it's only through working on the TV and doing bits on the TV that I realized the impact of the intensity of an atmosphere upon the 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 the, the actual product on the field now we've all gone through COVID and done this thing where we're playing fake crowd noise and what, you know, none of that can replicate the intensity of walking out of a tunnel at the Old Noseley Road or or at the DW Stadium or at the KC Stadium or at Craven Park on Derby Day. And, and that feeling translates to viewers who are watching in. And I just can't wait to get that sort of stuff back into the game because I'm fucking so... Exhausted, listening to fake crowd noise and 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 actually hearing players on a field. You know, you'll know, Scott. You know, in a derby like that, you 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 start to communicate in different ways because you can't speak to each other, you can't hear each other. So for people who don't know, you you're trying to communicate to your teammates. It's impossible to hear each other, so you all you like non-verbally trying to sort of articulate each other. But the intensity of atmosphere, Scott, at the whole derby is something else, isn't it?
2: Yeah, hundred percent. It's um, it's mad thinking back on it. now. I mean, the last derby we played in, it was the whole derby we played at Saint Helen's ground last year. Enough for the North fans in Saint Helen's, the whole derby was played, and it was um, it was it was nothing like a proper old derby packed out. And like you said, when you walk out, even just when you go out for warm up, the uproar in warm up is probably bigger than any cheer. What's been done in any game that year so far, and then, like I said, when you walk out, it's. It's unbelievable. You feel very lucky to be a part of a part of it, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a proper proper good thing to be a part of. I love it.
0: How come it took you so long, Scott, to get to Hull FC then to sign for them? Because it was 2016 you joined them, but you must have been angling for a move there your, your whole career. What was that day like when you finally signed for your, the club that you love?
2: Oh, it was class. Um, it was good to be able to ring ring my family up that night and people close to me and Brettland. News was. Uh, Look, I, I always wanted to, to win things in my career and be successful. I got a taste of it and that's the reason why I went to Wigan. When I had the opportunity to go to Wigan, um, I, I wanted to play for one of the best teams in Super League. But as soon as I'd gone there and had success, learnt a lot and felt I knew where I was and what I needed to do, um, as soon as the opportunity arose to come back home, uh, there was a lot of stuff going on at home at the time and I was a few hours down the road. It isn't as easy when you... Working hard at Wigan, and on your one day off, you've got to drive through two hours, then drive back home. It's harder than people think to get across as much as you'd want. So, to yeah. when the opportunity to come to sign at all, it's what I'd always wanted to do all my career, and I knew I'd be happy. And you can't put a price on happiness in life, so
0: I knew I'd be happy if I come back home and, and sign for the team I loved. Uh, look, guys, I want to talk about sort of life after rugby because it's the perfect conversation to have with you three because, Scott, you've got your own car leasing company and I think everyone in the fucking planet knows that uh, these two clowns have got a coffee business. Very cliche, isn't it? Having I mean, a Oh, yeah, look, we play rugby and then we'll, we'll... Rugby, coffee, it all goes hand in hand and we make sort of pot kettle sandwiches of black. And a bit of pot kettle bruschetta. Black in case yes. anyone yeah, we know though. what it's called. Pot kettle We black. know what it's called. <laughs> 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 On a serious note, though, um, Scott, how big a sort of part of your thinking was life after rugby and to have yourself set up for that because you're you're younger than these boys you're, you know you're 30 and you've still got another 4 or 5 years on the pitch left
2: yeah potentially but no I think I think when I when I come back home in 16 well end of 15 end of 16 I knew I wanted to sort sort something out I mean obviously John and Mark have probably seen it more in me and Mark here, but I'd, I've played with certain players and seen certain ex-players who just finished the game and have nothing and bump into one um, a few years after retirement and see him grafting on a building site, labouring and just have no plans. And it just scared me, to be honest. It was something I was always thinking about, like, don't get caught too much in rugby, rugby, rugby all the time. Yeah, it's my main priority, but sort something out. So as soon as I come back to Wall, it was sort of, right, let's, let's get involved in something, which I knew quite a bit about because my dad's been involved in involved in. Uh, the car trade and car mechanic world for for forty years. So it's something I always grew up with, and something I was fascinated
3: about. And and how, I'm interested to know how we might have affected your game because I remember when we set up our our business. Um, I actually I was hesitant that I might it might take my eye off the ball a little bit and my training or my playing might suffer. But I actually thought that it allowed me to to focus solely on rugby when I was in, in the moment but then when I was away from it I could tip my mind off it and I actually performed and trained and played a little bit better because I, was, I wasn't I was just always consumed with rugby and I had a bit more balance to my life. I wonder if if you kind of thought the same thing.
2: Yeah, 100% mate. I think um, being able to switch off from rugby when you get away from there sometimes is a big part of it um, and, and that was that that has massively helped me I think since I started doing it. I think the year I set it all up and started everything rolling, I had probably the best two years playing in my career uh, in 16, 17, when it all started rolling, there was a lot of hard work went into it. Um, But no, I think it's really balanced out, but also, you know, there's always an excuse there and um, I have battled that a bit here and there, Um, especially last year when I had my back injury um, and I only played probably about two, three games in seven months and there was obviously a bit going on with the club and Radford had been sacked and, I felt like there was a bit of thing coming at me of am I, because it was all as I was doing the showroom and all that was coming about. Maybe my form wasn't as good as it should be. I felt like people were using it as a cop-out against me at times to say, are you fully focused on rugby? Well, yeah, I've been fully focused on rugby since I was six years old and that'll never change.
0: John, was there a fear from your side of things, like you know, an, an anxiety to a certain degree that you just wondered, what you were going to do after rugby, and you felt like you needed to have something already in place for when you you retired. Was it more of a financial incentive? What was the sort of motivation for for getting your shit together and setting something up? Because look, you have built with all all credit to, to you and Mark, you built an empire between you.
1: Yeah, we. I was I was just I was bored. Will, um, you know, I, you get so much downtime as a rugby player, and um, yeah, I, I think you can productively fill that time with things. Um the biggest battle I had, I think was when it all you, we started kicking off our business and there was a lot of negativity. look, I can completely resonate with what Scott's just said about this, you know, link to performance with you being distracted by other things. But I was walking into training after finishing training, going into Manchester, sort of sorting out business matters, having adult conversations, looking at PL's, putting together like strategies with Mark about marketing and hiring staff, firing staff, changing things. And I was going into training the following day with lads who'd been sat up till three AM on a PlayStation. Like what the fuck are we talking about? Do you know what 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 are we what are we putting out there as the example of what you should do? You've got downtime and and it doesn't matter what your job is, be productive with your downtime. Do something that improves you, that moves you on, that 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 is like great for your personal development and and in sport we seem to celebrate the people who idly sit by and watch the career float by and get to the end of it and lo and behold they've got no idea what they're doing and and look for all these guys who are out there posting videos of themselves playing like fictional war games online get your head out your ass and do something with your time do something real with your time because my 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 obsession with get, doing something well was about being productive, about investing in myself. and me and Mark, have consistently done awkward things. You know, do we did we want to travel into Manchester and and, and have a board meeting and scrutinise like, you know, the the GP on our our food or on our drink? Did did we want to have really tough like conversations with staff who were letting go? Did, do we want to really understand the furlough scheme and and how we, how we can use it? Or do we want to do all that? The answer is probably no, really, if you're really selfish and you just go, right, well, I'm just going to do exactly what I want to do all the time. But this is the sort of talk we've got to really get out there. It's real talk about what professional sports people need to do to further themselves. And selfishly, clubs will leverage and use this sort of stuff against players to stop them having outside interests. Well, look, I'm flipping it on its head and we should all stand back and say to Scott Taylor and everybody who's criticised him maybe for having a business when his form wasn't good, is to say, you've got it so wrong, it's incredible. Because he's setting an example to so many other young players that you can go out there, you can have a business, you can create jobs for people and you can be really competent at the job you're doing day to day. And that's the message we need to send people. Not this. Sit back, cruise, keep under the radar, play PlayStation a bit, you know, go out for a drink twice a month with the lads. You know, post a picture of your, you know, I don't know, a butcher's with twelve sausages that they've given you for free or something. You know what I mean? Like what are we doing? Like, let's 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 get the, the real stories out there. Scott's is a real story, and he's not just started a business, he's smashing it. So that's a story. Do you know what I mean? That that that's it's it's awesome, it's incredible and and I'm not just saying that because me and Mark have done it and we're proud of what we've done. It's just out of hard work. You've got to choose. You've got a choice to make. Do I do this or do I do that? And whenever you choose the easy route, it never comes to anything good. Choose make some hard decisions, be productive, get out and do stuff and that's what we've all done, right? That all of us on this podcast have done that. You've done it well. You you make tough you make tough calls all the time. You put your career first all the time. So I know you ask us loads of questions, but I'd say this to to you as well. Well, you you you've had a dedication that's inspiring about what you've done in your career and. We need to celebrate these things because we're men and we're fucking stupid. We'll just sit back and not acknowledge all these great things that we've done. But Scott set up an amazing business. Me and Flash are smashing it at business. And you've got an amazing career and it's all through hard work. And that's it. Uh,
0: But I guess, though, you know, it's obviously completely incomparable to, to football, you know, when you compare it to another elite level because those guys at that time can be earning, you know, between 100 and 200 grand a week whatever so they really don't need to work whereas you know top rugby league players in this country averaging out what you're not going to you know go over 100 grand a year 100 grand a season so you need to have other plans but I'm and you know 100 grand a season might would have spent that on hookers and and uh, all sorts of other things casinos in the space of a, on a few weekend. months <laughs> <laughs> on weekend. but Scott have you seen people um you know from your time at Hull KR HFC, at Wigan sort of fall by the wayside when they've retired, whether that's come early because of an injury or just because it's, you know, that their time has come and they've just had no plan B and it's quite disturbing to see sort of people's livelihoods fall apart. Yeah, under, yeah, look, I've seen I've
2: seen it a lot and that's a scary thing. I mean, me as a fan growing up as well um, at All FC, seeing some of the guys I used to idolise around the city now and where they are in their life, that was a big scary thing for me. But also on the other side of that, I wanna, I wanna retire at the top of my game. I don't want to be a player who just keeps getting every penny they can out the game and keep doing another year because they know they can't get another contract. And I've seen, I've played with players who, I, I, I think in myself, I only retired yet. Like, why, why to keep playing? Like, and when you, are will quit <laughs>
0: Yeah but Wilco doesn't get it? tackled, does
2: he? Wilco does <laughs> so, so he was laughing. Absolutely <laughs> mate. <laughs> but when i played with some of the front rowers who were still going, like not naming any names because I don't want to be that guy, but look it I, I was just thinking I don't wanna be him. I, I wanna I wanna go out of the top of my game, in a position where I don't need Rugby financially at some point. Um and be that player who that people, player say, people say, oh, Tag, why don't you play another year? He could play another year. Why is he retiring? And I want to be that guy, not the guy who, who played two, three seasons too long. And, and it's scary stuff now as well when you see certain things on the sports set and injuries. And I know you can't link stuff like Rob Burrow and stuff like that to, to it, but it just makes you think, doesn't it, that health comes health's a big priority as well. And if you can set some up so you're not taking them ed- extra head knocks and them extra... 300-400 tackles in a season then um, that, that's what I want to do
3: I think, I think another point is, is for your own like, self-esteem and your own mindfulness really will reference premiership footballers who are on fortunes who probably don't have to take the option of setting up a business but I think it's important for those guys as it is for, for rugby players because it's more of giving yourself a purpose to do every day, when I retired I was prepared for the next stage in my life, and I was really excited about what was to come and and I go to the coffee shops and every day and i and I love it, but I think when some rugby players or sports people retire, they've played that sport for such a long time it's let them define them as a person and they've got no other outlets in their life to 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 be passionate about and I think it's really important for people to be a bit more balanced and when you're coming out of sport, having something to do day to day because I reckon a lot of Ex rugby players, whether financial or not, I think most most of them struggle adapting to the real world and not being a superstar rugby league player that's adula- had loads of fans adulating over them for for many years. I think it's that 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 drop down to earth and and that real life um, living that, that that they struggle with. And I think that was something that that I was really conscious of when when we set up the business that I wanted something that I was passionate about and I wanted to spend my life doing after to hang my boots up. So I think that's that's so important for young people.
0: Mm. It's that transition, isn't it, guys? Because, I mean, look, you see it with... And look, I, I can name a name in, in Ricky Hatton. I think that's pretty out there that, you know, Ricky Hatton has had his his struggles. And when he came out of boxing, I used to see him in all sorts of different places in Manchester, and it was sad. You know, at first it was funny, but then it became sad because I saw him for years. And I, I went to the Costa Zoo fight. I went to all those big Hatton fights at the Manchester United News. And, you know, saw saw a guy at the absolute top of his game. And then the next minute you see him dressed in a suit, which is about 17 sizes too big, in the press club with people just taking the piss out of him and hanging off him and just trying to get a picture and a video and whatever. And it's sad, you know, sports people at that level. And I guess, Scott, you need that transition, don't you, that Mark's just described, where you have something waiting or you have a plan rather than just falling straight off the cliff and not having, not walking down the street and going, look, there's Scott Taylor. I remember him. He used to play for Hull because that disappears eventually.
2: Yeah, hundred percent. And and just working stuff out, obviously, like Wilco and Flash must have done on the self, Just looking at finances and you knowing you've got a mortgage still to pay potentially, and just everything what comes comes and goes. With rugby league, and you're getting told where to be every day. You're getting a schedule sent to you. You're getting bossed around, and and then all of a sudden you're not getting told anything by anyone and you do see stuff happen after careers. What's scary and does frighten you. I think it's a mixture of everything. What's meant to do it. But look, I am the same as Wilco and flash. Like after training, I actually do everything I need to at rugby. If I do extra rehab or whatever I'm doing physio, I'm actually excited to go into the showroom and go in there and see the staff and speak to and check how everyone's doing. And, and making sure we've got a plan in place and, and what's a month looking like and I really enjoy doing that and, and I always get told off by my mum, dad and my missus for, for being too busy. Uh because obviously for four years I was being head coach of a National League amateur team as well. And everyone would say, How do you find the minutes in the day and that? But I'd found them because I wanted to and I like I like being active and I like being busy. My aunt, my man's always racing all the time about what to do next. So um I don't think there's an excuse out there either why someone don't have the time to do it. Like, like Wilco said, um, a lot of lads are just sat at home and, and that's how I think they get involved in gambling and stuff like that as well. I mean, when I was younger, I sort of went down that road a bit for a time being. I thought, because I'm getting at home in the afternoon, putting telly on, putting races on, you end up betting your money away what you're earning. It's madness. Mm. How bad did that get? Was that, was that a problem? Oh no! It was it was it was just being a being a young kid living still living at home with his dad. Family earning good money, well, earning really good money for like a 17-, 18 year old kid. And it's like, what do you spend it on? <laughs> once you pay, once you pay a bit of board, and you've got that much money left in your bank, what you've never seen before, you think, oh well, I may as well just mess around with it. And I had to teach myself and learn life lessons myself as a young lad. Like you start being smarter and sort yourself out.
0: Yeah. Look, I like, I like to normally keep these podcasts timeless, whatever, but we can't sort of overlook the fact that all three of you have been running businesses through probably the the most disruptive time this country's ever going to see economically. I mean, Wilka, what have the biggest challenges have that been for you? Because I know, you know, I, I remember seeing you early days in the lockdown. I'd come down and keep you in business and buy a few croissants. You were down at the bakery with your baker's hat on and making the sausage rolls in the morning, keeping yourself busy. But without taking the piss, it, it must have been a pretty horrid time business-wise
1: yeah well, yeah well the, the tap just got switched off didn't it overnight you know especially for hospitality you know there's there's no industry that got affected as quickly and as hard as what hospitality did so there's quite I suppose like um I think there was like two or three stages to it the first was um you know, panic, I suppose, disbelief, you know, about maybe what was going on. I think we don't, we didn't really understand back then. I look back to actually, we did a podcast, you know, in Salford at the time, not far off the time. And we were sort of guessing, you know, we were chatting about, you know, how bad it might be and could be. And, you know, we, we were wrong by, you know, about a year about how long it would last and whatnot. And, um, I think the first stage is, is pure panic, like I said. The second is you get practical. And the third is you get some stuff done. Like, what else is there to do? Like, you know, I, I think in, in life, life, right, is inherently tough. It, it throws challenges at you, whatever industry you're in, whatever life you lead, challenges are going to come at you. And you've just got to make yourself resilient enough to deal with them. Like, oh, what's the alternative? just go to well you know the, you, we see countless examples of people who, who've built the resilience on shoddy foundations well like I, you know I, i'd like to think through time and through criticism and through failure and through learning that that my resilience was built on a bit steadier stuff than just shoddy foundations so once i got over that sort of period of shock and maybe self-pity way like why you know like the business is gone you know what what can we do you start getting practical and when you when i get in a practical mindset you know i'm productive uh, and that's when ideas start coming and for anybody in life who's faced with like adversity like that i think the worst thing you can have is a really fixed outlook on how things might be you've got to be open to things and change things and and, and drive change yourself and I think initially, well, you know, after that panic and after that sort of like period of of doom, you know, I got me and Flash got really practical. We got our hands dirty. We changed things, and that's the only way you keep moving forward, right? And 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 you know, it's not just hospitality that was affected. You know, every every industry was affected, but the most nimble people, the most nimble businesses, have come out with it with, with new opportunities. You know, and we we've got three or four new opportunities that we didn't have before COVID that can be celebrated. And and, and that's all through just not extending that grieving process, you know, where we'll, we'll be me, things are shit. Like we didn't extend that period too long before we got practical about stuff.
0: One thing people definitely weren't doing during the pandemic was driving around, Scott, and certainly not leasing cars. Yeah, that's it. Um, it.
2: It was tough for us at times. I think probably looking back now, at the toughest times, I was. I'm just really proud that I could keep all my staff on uh, the, the the full salary. Um, looking back and knowing that they weren't missing out financially, now the business in a position where we could do that. Um, it was. It was really good to know we've done that. But no, like I said, we do, we do all. I am just saying I'm just a lease. I do PCP, I do HP, I do cash. It's not just lease. <laughs> oh, but, um, Will, oh, that sounds great, Scott.
0: <laughs> great deals. This is your time to plug uh, the but, business. Uh, They've plugged their, this, they plugged their where, stupid coffee is where shop. This Scott's,
1: fo- S- Scott's phone number just goes like scrolling across the bottom now. <laughs> yeah, that's it. T cars. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it's... Um, it it was tough, but luckily we put ourselves in a position. And literally, just before the pandemic, we opened our our new showroom. What we'd put so much money into and so much effort. And a month after that, we went into full lockdown. Um, so so it was it was scary. Uh, but we knew we we knew we'd worked hard and got in a position where we could. it was sort of when it first happened. I remember the first time we sat down. It was like right if we're in this lockdown for however long, I want before the money runs out sort of thing and having and having that chat. So things got scary, but luckily as things started reopening up, we could do the click and collect and a lot more people were buying cars and uh, it, it's worked out really well now. And obviously now we're in a really good position ready for things to be fully back open again.
3: I think what Scott touched on there with with wanting to, to keep everybody in employment, that was something that John and I was were really keen on the- think when you you've got a business and you employ people you're responsible for them and you're responsible for their families and mortgages to be paid and, and and we were lucky enough to to keep all our staff on um during the last 12 or whatever months it's been and there was a there was an there was a quote in a in the in the times it was it was a chief executive appliances online a guy called john robertson he said make every decision as if your mum's watching and that kind of stuck with me throughout corvin we always tried to do the right thing by people and i think if you're going to build a business long term, which is what we want to do, I think if you have that principle in place where you you do right by people and and they'll they'll give it you back tenfold in the in the end. And I think probably Scott and John and I having been in a, a rugby league dressing room and having teammates that you care about, I think that's one thing that transcends transcends into business. And um, that was something that was that was really important to us. Is
1: is your mum watching now, Flash? Yeah, she's watched, she's so. just in the corner. <laughs> oh, Sue Flanagan,
0: Scott, Scott, Sue Flanagan. She's she's really Carol Will- oh my
1: God! I
2: thought actually John was going to say that she's, a, she's at his house. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, yeah. No, we've it.
0: done that one. Sue, <laughs> Sue Flanagan though is an absolute rocket, Scott. If you've not met Sue Flanagan before, absolute rocket. She's right up there, isn't she? John right, she's right, right, right up,
1: up there. there. Oh, she's right cut up from up. very fine, Word fine cloth. That it, um, Carol
3: Wilkin used to join Pip Wilkin on watching amateur rugby <laughs> league on a Sunday morning. And she used to wear little denim hot pants.
1: True or oh, false, that's the. That's what that's pants why I signed up. That's the <laughs> He's like, hey, Scott, do you fancy signing for all KR? And she's like that <laughs> little just denim tassels. Come on, come this way, son. <laughs> yeah, no, that didn't happen. Uh, but the hot pants might be true. I think.
0: Look, Scott, you're a massive NFL fan. Boy after my own heart. I'm Buffalo Bills, what season the Bills have had. Uh, you're you know, Denver Broncos, because I say that, there's two dogs behind you for those who are uh, not watching, and one of your dogs is called Payton after Payton Manning. How did the how did the love for the Broncos come about?
2: It basically started when I was about thirteen, fourteen and found Madden for the for the PlayStation. My cousin said players Denver Broncos, they're good, so I played as them played the game and then thought I enjoy this so I'll start watching it and then
0: ever fucking, since hell, don't time, mention the PlayStation yeah. to Wilkins Scott he'll fucking rip <laughs> you <laughs> a new arsehole.
1: he's gone right down in my <laughs> estimations <laughs> that was, that was, I was in about 18, him. 14 <laughs>
0: no no
1: I just used to burn things on the farm
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but look I say that because that must have been a massive moment for you playing in the Mile High Stadium for England uh, in Denver June 2018 what a moment
2: yeah, it come with a lot of pressure. I remember when it got announced I'd been involved in the, the World Cup squad the year before and when they said it was going to be an American uh, test, a test over in America against Kiwi and they got announced it was Denver a few months before. Like, I just thought, in my head you think, is it meant to be? I am going to be playing in that game. or? But then also it was the nerves of thinking I can't miss this opportunity. It's probably something I'll regret the rest of my life. I don't, don't get selected and... I need to do everything I can to make my form as good as it can and make sure Wayne Bennett selected me. But when I did get selected and I did play, um, I just thought it was absolutely mental, just how things work out in life sometimes. To to being a fan for for a few years, well, going on probably 10 years or so, and then to actually play in that stadium in America, it was just mind-blowing for me. I was just in awe, really. I was, it was a great, great week. Um and yeah, just unbelievable to play there, like, even though it was pretty quiet and like playing in Covid then to be honest, how big the stadium is and how many fans were there. Um uh, it was just an honor really and and some of Well back on my career, it is a game I'll think, wow, I'm so happy. I, I took part in that and had the chance to play there.
0: Have you have you ever been tempted by by a, a crossover? Because I know look, Christian Wade's just been re signed by the Buffalo Bills. He's yet you know yet to play a sort of senior first team game. But what? go on, John. Hold on a minute. We,
1: we're not comparing Scott to Christian Wade, are we? Are we, we going to go down with <laughs> that? No, no, no. We're not going down Antonio this road. Brown Thompson. Scott, Scott, jump in and save yourself, mate. Because otherwise, <laughs> that's open up here. <laughs> that I was literally just going to say that when I kid
0: myself. I don't think there's one position in the I could play. Um, the... Tight end, tight end. You can play tight end. <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, that's what I said. I remember when we we got over there, and I did an interview for Denver radio, and I said I'd be Denver's answer to Gronkowski. I reckon I could do a bit of a <laughs> that tight end potentially. Um, <laughs> but no, look, the the freaks of athletes, and it's a different sport to us altogether. The amount of it, how much explosion and speeds in there, and obviously it's a lot more anaerobic and a lot more stop start. But no, I, I wouldn't even attempt to cross over and try and play it.
0: Who was the who was the fellow I've forgotten? The the Aussie he came from the NRL and he signed for the forty nineers and Mylata. then dropped the ball yeah. on no, Jar, I mean, Jared Yeah. was Jar Jared In, Henn, Jared Hayne played. Jared the Henn, yeah.
3: And then there's a, there's a young lad from South Sydney who was like six foot nine. Jordan Mailata, is it? Tag.
2: Yeah, but he's um he he went he went into like the um, offensive land and I don't think he was a running well, yeah, he went into it, but Jared Airn was a running back like um, like weird. Jared Ane played a game for the 49ers in, in the warm-ups. And, um, but, but his issue is when you're in the NFL there and they put the ball to you, if you've got quite a few of the defenders around you, you're meant to call a fair catch so you can just catch it. It's dead straight away. Sometimes you catch it where Jared Ane was doing what you do in rugby league and realising, I'll catch it and try and run. And a few fumbles happened and that was the end of him, really.
0: Yeah, yeah. Exactly, it was. I remember it was one high-profile fumble, fumble. It wasn't a Monday Night Football, but it was you know a televised game, and then the whole of America just jumped on his back, and that was the end of his NFL career. Um, yeah. Look, in terms of uh, touring stories, I want one of you. I reckon you've got a few touring stories up your your sleeve. Was there any on that? 2018 tour to the States because I know Wilco's got a few I want you to, to exchange Mark hasn't been on a tour he hasn't been outside of um, Never been or, or, gonna... <laughs> no. England no, Knights when I played England for England Knights England
3: Knight, it was a home game so I wasn't fortunate enough to tour
0: no. Go on, <laughs> Scott sorry, I'm putting Mark. you on the spot what's your what's your best <laughs> touring story that you can tell us anything's appropriate on uh, out of your league <laughs> um, on the
2: spot not a clue but I will say is <laughs> uh, Where I did when I got my first cap for for England um against France in end of sixteen it was my first cap in debut. I remember in the week, sort of Wayne Bennett had tipped me up as if to say you'll you'll be playing, you'll get your first cap, and that's because the lads who played the grand final weren't gonna back up more than anything. And then um as a day or so led into it, I think Sam Burgess had said to me, You'll be starting. And then we basically was at the top of the of the hotel in London and was literally about just to go for a team feed night out. And Wayne Bennett went right in a few days, a team against France, right. I'll just wheel it off the top of my head now. And basically I got told I was starting there we before. And he read, he read through the first 13 players. So who was starting and I was thinking bloody hell, I'm not starting now. What's going on here. And then, um, and then he read out the first sub, read out the second sub. And I thought, I thought I was playing here. I'm totally going getting my first cap. And then he just stopped for about five minutes. Everyone was just quiet. He was like, Can't remember who the other two are. And then um, I think, <laughs> I think it was Daddy Spetz, or I think it was JP was in his ear and we, and we just saw Kevin Brown with his real long neck at the back, just like peer over. And he went, Oh, Kev, yeah, yeah, Kev, you're you're you're, you're on the bench. And then um, and then I sort of like stuck that I started putting my hand up before. <laughs> fuck it i'm backing myself here i'm putting my hand up it's me and then he put, looked at me and he went oh yeah you rang a are in actually you can start you're starting and you bear just twinned <laughs> you just you flip a coin and see who's starting with tag i was like that's <laughs> and that's how i got told i was making my debut in first england cap <laughs> <laughs> there's
0: no better
1: way that's the best way there's no better way than that absolutely not
0: that's amazing. I can't remember what's allowed for broadcast and what's not, and I'm very bad at doing that because I sometimes out people and get them in trouble. But is the Sean Long pissing all over your passport one that we can tell? John, has that been told before? I can't remember whether that was uh, uh, allowed or not.
1: Yeah, well, it's allowed for sure, yeah. Yeah, I'm, on, tell, I'm yeah. certainly not against it. Uh, I've got... Or, or have you got I've better? Got no, I've got no... Yeah, there's nothing that incriminates me at all. It's just, I'm throwing Sean Long under the bus. So when we... Uh, I think it was 2006 and we were in Australia we were staying at the Manly Pacific in in in, um, in Sydney beautiful hotel like five-star hotel and um, Brian Noble the coach at the time was he was really aware that there was a bit of a split in the team I think there was like eight Leeds lads eight Saints lads and he was like really paranoid that we'd all room together so he did like a ballot at the front door he was like right draw all your names into a hat You know, six weeks, you know, I want you to room with somebody you're not familiar with. Anyway, everyone's picking names out and whatnot. And they're all pretty much random or, you know, like all split up and whatnot. And uh, I remember pulling out my name. And when you know this man, when you unravel and see this man's name and you know you're living with him for six weeks, like I was shit scared, like instantly. So I opened the piece of paper and it's Sean Long, right? And there's a few things you need to know about Longy. One, he he was wild, like, back then. Uh, But if he had a couple of beers, he'd just wet the bed. You know what I mean? And there's men all around the country. There's men listening to this. You know, there's men sat in front of bookshelves in the south of England right now who probably wet the bed after a couple of pints. But Longy was just renowned for it. And a bit like Tag was saying, the grand final team weren't going to feature for the first week. So he said to us lads, I think it was Saints and Hull actually in that final, he said, right, you guys get out and enjoy Sydney for a few days. And I think Longy must have wet the bed consecutively for about four days. And his mattress was out on the Manly Pacific balcony in front of the Manly Promenade with just a little sort of round yellow stain in it like for four days consecutive. Not only that, we were going from Sydney to New Zealand, back to Sydney to New Zealand, to Brisbane. We were flying everywhere. And uh, it didn't I didn't only realised I, I think probably I think it was the night before our first flight out of Sydney that Longie had also took a slash in the bedside drawer that had my passport in it. So my passport had puffed up to like the size of a shredded wheat. It was like that thick the pages were that thick. It was just trying to get through fucking passport security, you know, and the guy's like thumbing through my passport like that and I was like, oh. <sighs> Yeah, but rooming with Longy for six weeks was just, it was a disaster, mate. It was just terrible. <laughs> terrible.
0: Look, I t- I'll tell you what as well because we've kept you long enough, Scott, um, but just to appease some more of the trolls, I don't know why I try and appease the trolls because we used to just make this podcast and just do what the hell we wanted but now because it's a little bit more semi-serious, we've got to um, you know, keep some of them happy anyway, but some of them are like, you never talk about fucking rugby league or what's happening currently. So here you fucking go. Um, and I want to just who's talk about who's saying that, well, who's saying that? Who's actually saying that? Is anybody on saying media, that, John? You don't. Yeah, they, I know, but You know, but don't at me. It's, it's a twelve-year-old kid. <laughs>
1: It's, it's a 12-year-old kid who's playing NFL in his bedroom, Will. Don't and, be worried about Wilkins it. Phil Wilkins is
0: going to find him. <laughs> Phil Wilkin will find you. <laughs> uh, no, but in all seriousness, we should be talking about Hull because you guys, again, not timeless, but you're flying right now. Um, what's it been like under, under Brett Hodgson now? Um, obviously losing Lee Radford, who's, who we now know is going to go off to, to Cass at the end of the season. But really great start to the season for you guys.
2: Yeah, look, it's uh, it's it's been good. I think I think obviously what the job what lasty Andy last did at the end of last year with us sort of like started to change things a bit and put us in a bit of a better position. And obviously Hodgson's come come in and really at the ground running brought everything in. What it, it's his first gig as head coach. So for so many years he's probably had in his head someone's he turns head coach. What he's going to do? What he's going to change? How he's going to act? And his coming has been has been really good. He's... He's got the boys really together. Uh, I think it's probably the most together our group's been for a long time. And be any toxic, any back, like words going behind the scenes and everyone's buying into what he's brought in. He's a very smart guy. And the good thing is as well, he ain't that long retired and knows what it's like and only play, and he's played the game at the highest level. So automatically had that respect as well. Um, yeah, look, all the boys are buying in. He's worked really hard with us. You can see he's putting a lot of hours in. Yeah. Um, and, and the boys are responding. I'd say, obviously, it's a long year and we're going to have some bigger tests to come and sometimes you lose a game or two, the pressure starts. But at the minute, everything's working well.
3: How's Gaz Ellis doing on his coaching role?
2: He, he's doing... Do you know what, mate? He's Honestly, he's shocked me. He's done a lot better than I thought he would. He's actually doing really, really well. Because, <laughs> um, like I said, you're close with Gaz. Um, and, obviously, well, you, you, you're both fine. you both played with Gaz. Um Look, he he transitioned after retirement into a bit of a football manager role, more of like a behind-the-scenes role, and then when he come back out of retirement, he's now transitioned and he's with the boys every day, he's he's enjoying the coaching, I think Hodgson's helped him a lot, but no, I'm really, really pleasantly surprised with how Gaz has changed the coaching, being able to differentiate himself from one of the boys, but... Still do what's needed, and and how he's took on the role, and the hours he's putting in, he's doing really well, Gaz.
3: Because he was a, he was a great leader, and having played with him, he was always a guy that led by actions, and he was he's a smart guy, but he never really relied on it on on his talking and vocalising how how he was to lead, and that was something that I spoke to him about that he said that he was he was conscious of that he, he would have to change if he was to be a coach. So it, it's it's probably quite good to hear that.
1: Mine was about your defence, Scott. So, you know, for those rugby roys who were sat at home, you know, in their, uh, you know, the budgie smugglers wanting to hear about rugby talk. For me, in, if we're talking about the performance side of the game, there's been a big improvement in your D, have not there, th- as a team? You know, that defensive, like, mindset and, like, that 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 robust sort of defensive attitude. Is that something that Andy last started last year? you know, last season? Or is that a Brett Hodgson, you know, thing that he's brought in? No, that's... that's Obviously, obviously
2: we started to improve under last year things changed. But Hodgson, yeah, Hodgson come in, he made no... no did beat around the bush, obviously. And we all know, defence was shocking, too uh, inconsistent and something we had to work hard on. And since Hodgson's come in from day one of pre-season, we've, we've spent a lot of time on the defence. And, and it's good because as you know, if you're good defensively, you're always going to be in games, and don't get me wrong, we should have maybe closed out that Wakefield game earlier, we should have never have gone to Golden Point with Warrington, our offence aren't being great, but it's a big difference when your defence is good, you're always going to be in games, and it's a lot easier to correct your offence in training. When you're having short turnarounds, if your defence is poor, like you know yourself, when you're going on the field and you're trying to bash each other up on short turnarounds, and where can your defence and try and change it overnight Your defence. It just doesn't happen. It's not possible. Um, so we worked really hard 10 weeks of pre-season on it and, and it's paying dividends now. Um, everyone's in the system. Everyone's buying into what we're doing. And and like you know as well, when you have a tight group, as well as that defence, you work that extra hard without even knowing and you scramble for your mate even more. And uh, It's something that's been really brought in and, and something we can hopefully keep going with.
0: I know you said uh, Scott and you in pre-season that you were sick of hearing how good Hull FC could be on paper and the cynics the, the the rugby league cynics or the KR fans whatever you want to call them they would say well look you've had a good start but how's it different because you, you often have good starts how's it different to any other year?
2: Yeah look I, I, that's true we're sick of hearing that because we'd had we had a few poor years and you obviously aren't good on paper are you? Or well, you haven't got a good team because if you're not you're not winning games and losing 14 games in a row then you're not good let's be honest Um but no, yeah, the the six are out there. We're keeping grounded. Look, we're not putting any big goals on it and saying we're going to win this. We're going to go here. We're going to go that way. We we made a real conscious effort at the start of the year of right. Like, let's get 10, 15 games in. See where we're at. See what the competition is like, and then we'll 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 kick on again for the rest of the year. And and, and that's been the biggest thing for us. We're, we're not we're not putting pressure on ourselves, and but we're going into games knowing that we've earned the right to go there and win no matter who we play because
1: we're putting the hard work so before we came on Scott you were saying about how you're going to go on and win everything this year That you're not standing by that now (laughs) no he didn't he didn't say that he didn't (laughs) he he did he did did. Um, look we had had Paul McShane
0: on last week um, and he's going to have a new boss isn't he could preserve your old your old uh, coach Lee Radford replacing um, Daryl Powell at the end of the season. Is that a good move, you think, for for Lee? I mean, you know, you've watched him as a, as a player at LFC FC and, of course, you won two Challenge Cups under him as well.
2: Yeah, look, I think it's a good move. I think, obviously, it was real a shame the way it ended at Hull FC for him and, and what a successful coach he was at all and what he did for us. But, obviously, when you've been at a team for five, six, seven years and head coach, sometimes, obviously, maybe the messages don't come across as strong and some players get too comfortable and and it happens it happens in sport uh but look he's gone away and the best thing i think about Radders is he's not jumped into anything he obviously put his name to go into america and help Rugby union but i think that was just summer where he could get away and, and do and concentrate on away from rugby league for a while and he's waiting for the right opportunity to come and um, i know how hard he works and and how much he loves the game, and he's and he's been waiting for a chance to get back involved at the right time, and I spoke to him yesterday about it. Um, dropped in there, if you need someone on My Key Money, I'll I'll happily ring, come with you, <laughs> pal. No,
1: joke. Sure, yeah. big time, <laughs> big time. <laughs> Can we <edit> out, <laughs> I'm joking. Shot? Come on, mate, you don't have to kid us. There, there was definitely, there was at least an element of the conversation was, uh, how's your front row looking? is what, are you, what, are you, what are you saying, what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> Three years, do you need a new years, car? Do you need a new car? Three years, one fifty. I'm yours. <laughs>
2: Rad is his man. beyond that because he is the tightest man I've ever met. Is he just wants to car share with someone? So he's probably ringing around all the old boys <laughs> and thinking, "Oh, fancy a gig there, so I can car share and save some money on fuel."
1: That's not hey, that's not good for business, Scott. You don't want these car sharers, do you? <laughs> no, definitely not.
0: Look, that's the uh, that's the serious rugby chat done. We'll finish off this week, uh, Scott, with a little quiz for you because I know you're a Broncos fan. So a Denver against oh. Hull quiz, right? Let's see how you fare in this one. This is pretty tricky. I didn't come up with this myself. We we even got a producer these you, days. He's come up with this one. For-
1: Will you shit house. You're an absolute <laughs> shit house. He's zero, when, it's here? Qu- Mate, when he when it's a quiz that he likes, he puts his name to it. But, you know, no, it's a quiz he's not no. sure about. The, he's like, oh, I'm not sure no. how it's going to go down. So, Will, by yourself. Uh, no, this, no, I was merely saying... This is the real quiz.
0: It's, <laughs> no, it's tight. Some of the questions are so tight that, um, that you know, it's. I think it's going to be interesting. Okay, here we go. Look. Which stadium opened first? The KCOM, of course, in Hull, or M Field in Denver? Which one opened first, Scott?
2: Oh, I think... I'd go with the KCOM.
0: You're wrong by a year. Empower Field oh. 2001, the KCOM 2002. Zero so far, Scott. Ev- ev- the next question. Everybody
1: knew, everybody knew that. Everybody knew that <laughs> one.
0: What is higher? The number of Challenge Cup victories for Hull FC or Super Bowls, he's got to get this one, for Denver Broncos. Challenge Cups for Hull FC, Super Bowls for the Broncos.
2: Challenge Cups for Hull FC. Hull FC have won more. Denver have won three Super Bowls. And Hull FC have won four or five, I think.
0: Very good. Hull FC five and Denver three. He's got a point. One out of two. Who's older? Denver's Super Bowl winning quarterback. Also, uh, your dog is named after him, Peyton Manning. Or Hull FC legend and Mark's best friend, Gareth Ellis. Who is older? Manning or Ellis? Manning's older. He is, significantly. Confident, Six years, confident, 45 Forty-five confident. for Manning. Ellis is 39. He looks older. Uh, he, looks o- he looks older. He looks like he's had his face sandpapered, Ellis, doesn't he? Uh, yeah. I wouldn't say that to his face, though. Scott Taylor tries for Hull FC. Drew Locke passing touchdowns for Denver Broncos. Who has the most? you got two out of three so far.
2: I'm going to back myself here just because Drew Locke's shocking and we need a new QB ASAP. And say, so I've scored
0: Whoa! Scott, him, Scott Taylor, Shred. how many? How many? How many? Do you reckon he scored? Try tries exactly. Two. Uh, twenty-six. Spish. I got
2: fifteen.
0: <laughs> no, you you, you you you've done yourself down. You should have had a wild stab in the dark at nineteen tries for Hull FC Scott Taylor. Twenty-three passing touchdowns for the Broncos. Drew Locke. Oh. And we move on to the final question. Which is? Will, just, Will,
1: sorry. Just somewhere is there a, a, an alternative quiz going on where Drew Locke is being asked the same question. <laughs> and, yeah, <laughs> he's just said, and he's he just, just said, you know what, Hull FC need to do? They need to get rid of Scott Taylor. He's shit. <laughs> we a, we pro- need a new front row race app. <laughs> It's like us the draft is
0: Thursday to- night. I'm like prodding the Broncos to draft someone first round. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you got two out of four. The fifth question is this just to salvage a bit of pride. The average yearly number of vehicles that pass over the Humber Bridge in Hull or the average yearly visitors (laughs) to the Rocky Mountain National Park in Denver. What is higher? It's such a Uh, shit question. (laughs) I'll go with the Denver, up the Denver. You think so? Humber Bridge, 6.24 million idiots cross that bridge. Every <laughs> single year, Rocky Mountain National Park 3.31 million oh, nearly double. Sorry, let, nearly I'm double. There, You've let your city down, uh, Scott. <laughs> top man, mate. Really enjoyed that last hour. Thank you so much, mate. And, um, all the best with the business. I hope that gets back and flying. And, and uh, Hull of C, you guys are already flying in these early stages. Thanks, mate, for coming on.
2: Cheers, lads. Spawn. Thank you.
0: Cheers, G- 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 oh, good man. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Out of Your League. We'll have a new episode for you every week, available to download from wherever you get your podcasts. You can also watch us on YouTube. Don't forget, give us a follow, troll us. There's plenty of you out there at Out of Your RL on give Twitter. Give us a
3: review as well. Give us we a review. See you.
0: A good review. The reviews aren't good, by the way, Mark. They've gone down. We're not five stars anymore. We're at, we're at four point something. <laughs> see you next week, you little buggers.